ideally the name of the game today and tomorrow is about the relationship, building a relationship, building a community. Shopping center owners should really be more the directors of symphony orchestra. Hi there and welcome to a new series of the podcast No Stone Unturned from Savills. In this podcast we will talk about the trends and developments in the Dutch real estate market. From hotels to offices and from retail to senior living. I am Charlotte Harmsen and in this episode we're going to talk about retail. Inflation and economic downfall have put a huge pressure on retailers. What will the retail sector look like in the years to come? I'm going to talk about this with Rupert Parker Brady, retail expert and advisor. Welcome, Rupert. Thank you, Charlotte. Uh, the first question I have for you is, uh, why do you find retail so fascinating? Uh, I, I think it uh, all comes back to uh, the family of my mother had a big retail company, fashion company in the UK. And back then it was uh, a chain uh, which was also active in the Netherlands. They had factories and um, for more than 116 years they existed. Now it doesn't anymore, but that fascinated me as a child. And um, when I was an editor at uh, an advertising magazine, News Tribune, in the 90s, I decided to set up the first retail marketing magazine, Retail Tribune. And nowadays you have uh, retail trends. So that's how I started basically uh, as um, yeah, entrepreneur, publisher you really grew in up the retail with, uh, uh, with retail. Yeah. And uh, can we say that um, the retail industry is a bit of in a, in a turmoil the last uh, decade? It is, but I think it has always been for the past uh, 25 years, especially since uh, the development of uh, internet, e-commerce, um, changing behavior of consumers, and um, yeah, also changing perspective from uh, brand companies, how they can be more visible in the high streets. And uh, of course, um, at the moment, we are dealing with uh, very high inflation. How have uh, retailers been able to keep up with uh, their margins? Well, that is in the food retail market, uh, the big question. They are uh, coping, but uh, not greatly. Uh, of course, they've been lucky during the COVID years uh, that uh, there was a huge turnover, that everybody went to the uh, food retail companies um, in the high streets, shopping centers, um, uh, in the inner centers, and uh, they profited from that. And now they have to keep that volume. And that is the basically the game, uh, keeping the volume, trying to hold on to that instead of letting it go and uh, that the consumers go to basically a lot of... Uh, um, companies, uh, small, medium-sized companies, um, in, the, in the shopping stores, street, specialist yeah. stores, to do their groceries. So, and of course, what you see is that the the brands uh, like Unilever, like Procter and Gamble, they're all trying to raise, of course, their prices, mm -hmm. the prices that the retailers pay to buy those products, because they have a lot of rising costs, energy costs transport costs, uh, cost of personnel, uh, cost in production. And re retailers, of course, are trying not to pay for that. But that is, of course, um, uh, not possible. So the past two years, you've seen that brands have uh, asked higher prices 
10, 15%, 17%, and retailers have to, have to deal with that. Because it's not possible just to say to consumers, sorry, uh, this year we won't have uh, brands from Procter Gamble or Unilever or Nestle. For a couple of weeks you can do that, but on, uh, at the end uh, of uh, those weeks you need to have a solution. So that is a, but I, I believe that um, there is an advantage in having also more focus on sustainability. So not only health, but also where do the products come from? Local produce, uh, biological, uh, better quality. People should be willing to pay more for that. And you can combine that also with the need to raise the costs of the products which are available. And if you look at the Dutch supermarkets, which in Europe have always been the cheapest, um, comparatively, you see that the uh, supermarkets in the Netherlands, have re uh, they've risen their prices. So you pay more now. So if you, I remember last night I went to the Albert Heijn and I was thinking to myself, one year ago, I paid probably 10 euro less. So that is a huge it difference. Makes a huge difference, yeah. A also, huge difference, uh, uh, and it doesn't. It's not like that. I bought a lot. It's just they've risen the cost, and of course they um, stunt with all the promotions, so that you feel that you always get a bargain. But at the end of <laughs> on the pay ticket, you see that you paid more than you should. I want to go a little bit zoom out, go to the big picture and talk about what is retail going to look like in the years to come in the Netherlands. So for instance, of course, we are a real estate advisor. So for us, if you look at a property, then it's all about location, right? So um, we see some shopping centers in the Netherlands having rising vacancy rates. Yeah. Um, what do you think the role of the location is in the success of, of retail? It's extremely important. I mean, it always will be important, uh, especially in the Netherlands, where basically within 150 meters there are stores, whether it's a Kruidvat or a local grocery. We have a naturally 15-minute uh, city. Uh. Yeah, that is already part of uh, the way uh, we've organized it in the Netherlands. I mean, in America, they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't believe it if we tell them how uh, we're organized. And uh, so that's a fact. So, but what you see is that a lot of large change, uh, uh, not only in food, but also in non-food, are focusing the last years, I think that's a very good idea, on uh, going for the best locations. So also closing stores, moving them, either. And then what the, is a good location? That can be either for, uh, let's say, uh, the major brands, the high street, of course, the best spots, hot spots, but it can be for a blocker, uh, the neighborhood. Um, so it's a choice. Where is your customer? Like Kruidvat is still apparently the largest retailer in the Netherlands with a thousand stores, followed uh, by Albert Heijn. And uh, their choice is to really be close to the consumers in the neighborhoods. And uh, that's... And every store they have is profitable. Otherwise, they, yeah, every store that's their philosophy. If it's not profitable, we, we close it. We close it, yeah. And um, so that is really fascinating. So they make sure that in every neighborhood there is a store, whether you like it or not, it's there, and it sells enough to pay the rent 
and the cost of personnel, energy, gas, etc. But it's relevant, apparently, for the people who live there, for their daily needs. So a chain like Blocker also has to focus on that. And they had a lot of stores in the neighborhood, but also stores in the high streets. Well, they shifted from that strategy long ago. If you look at Action, it's also trying to be close in the neighborhoods, but they choose always locations where people go to, destinations, instead of being at a high street. So more shopping centers or... No, but they're trying to be more on the edge of um, shopping centers. So that that people actually take their bicycle or their car, drive there, cycle there and go there. And uh, because they don't want to pay a lot of costs for, uh, for rent. And then is the, the, the Dutch consumer typical in brands? Because, of course, in the in the last years, we've seen some brands disappearing from our high streets and our shopping centers and some uh, yeah, growing and being very successful. What do you think is sort of the key to, to success uh, for, for a brand in the Netherlands? I think the key to success is, apart from tastes, and of course there's a cultural difference, and a difference also in taste, Dutch consumers compared to the UK or France. But the key to success is universal. That is, you need to um, have a good story. You need to have an appealing collection. You need to uh, tell what you're doing, what you stand for. So what is your philosophy? Uh, why do you stand out? Why are you different than your competitor? Because basically every brand which is active in retail or present um, has competitors. So it's um, a red ocean of a lot of brands which are fighting for attention. But how do you, be, how do you get into the blue ocean? So where you're unique, you stand out. And people know that although you are active in a market where there are a lot of brands, that you still stand out because you do something uniquely. And that is, that's the, I think that's where a lot of retailers, and especially brands, need to focus on. To, to focus on being more distinct. Mm-hmm. Being a real brand is being able to be authentic, tell your story, to have people who are really love working for you and people really love meeting you and basically uh, being part of the community you offer. Yeah, I think if you describe it like that, a good example for me would be a brand like Patagonia or something, which doesn't, uh, the purpose is not uh, to grow uh, their brand and their collections, um, uh, but it is to really be distinctive. Do you have another good example of a brand like this, which you see growing in the coming years in the Netherlands? Yeah, I do. I mean, so Dill and Camille, you could say that's a competitor of Xenos, which it is. But Xenos was more middle of the road and they have reinvented themselves. So fantastic. In the past uh, 50 years, they really become more a relevant uh, brand, which also has a really interesting story about sustainability. Fantastic. But they are middle of the road. So they want to cater all Everyone. Dutch consumers. <laughs> yeah. That's so. That's so. They don't want to have consumers to consume less. Then you have Dylan Camille, which um, of which the managing director says the next best thing to having a chain and to uh, stimulate people basically to consume 
is not to have stores at all. But we are not in that business. We started almost 50 years ago, in 1974, with the idea that we want to really um, have an anthroposophical view on life and that we want to help people with a different set of products which we sell from that anthroposophical point of view. So the whole um, interior, all the products, the way people are, um, uh, are greeted, uh, the music, the classical music inside, the cup of tea you get. Dylan Camille uh, is really a different uh, cookie compared to the competitors. Yeah. And either you like it or you don't like it. I remember I went with my, of course, I was thinking to myself, I know that Dylan Camilla has a, attracts a lot of female customers. Because it's a female brand. It's, uh, I don't know, it's difficult to say, but that's how it's... Well, my husband loves it. So. <laughs> exactly. I like it too. But I went there with my children a couple of years ago. Because there was a Dylan Camilla opened uh, near our house. And um, they came in and so they are teenagers. And they suddenly... They calmed down. Calmed down. It was like, it was they... It's like you feel suddenly that you becomes. It's amazing that a store can do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does the same with my son. He's four years old and he's quite uh, active. Yeah. And in the Dille Camille, he's quite and also in the Pan Quotidien, which is a restaurant yeah. chain that also has the classical music. Yeah, the long table, the community yeah. table. Yeah. So that is really fascinating to see that a comp that a company can have that effect on yeah, a human being. Yeah. So it's being. for me, it's a, although they're in a market where there are a lot of competitors, they have found a blue ocean niche. And nobody can really enter that niche because nobody else wants to be in that niche. That's the interesting thing. And um, I think they've really grown into a brand over the past 15 years. The managing director uh, is a brand uh, man. So he came in and he brought that perspective from how do we become more of a real brand? Um, and how do we tell stories? And how are we basically taking all the gold nuggets we have about the story and the product of Dylan Camilla and try to really put him uh, in the window and to show people how, why we are so unique. And why we're doing it this way. And so that's what you see with a lot of retailers and brands. They forget to really show their gold nuggets. They just are focused on transaction. And the, I think the, ideally the name of the game today and tomorrow is about the relationship, building a relationship, building a community. And then you can stand out. But then you need to execute it perfectly. And so if you, because my next question is about, uh, you know, if you could, we've talked about a couple of market segments, um, fashion, supermarkets, uh, your convenience uh, stores and things like that. If you, uh, in, what, in what market segment would you, because our listeners are investors, would you invest in yes or no? Uh, but I think from what you're saying, I can already guess a little bit what the, what the answer might be. But Which is? Yeah, I think uh, the, the the stores or, or the, the properties that have several stores that are focused on purely the transaction might not be uh, your uh, advice for investment. But correct well, me if I'm wrong. Simply, um, if you're an investor, then of course you need uh, brands and chains of, uh, of retail which are focused on, on, on transactions. Because otherwise, I mean, uh, that, uh, you for need, the economics, sustainability. yeah, for the economics, you need people, you need traffic, you need people. And now uh, there was a recent uh, uh, um, uh, a new survey which said that basically 
back in 2019, uh, since then, a lot of people didn't go to the high streets anymore. Um, that is back again. Most people are going again, but they are more, because of the internet, because of their smartphone, they're more focused on why am I going to a shopping center, to the inner center? Um, what do I need? So they're more focused on their direct needs instead of just going and just having a good time. So that means that retailers, but also um, restaurants and cafes and leisure need to uh, try to address that for new focus of consumers. So you, as an investor, you need to understand that any shopping center, whether it's inside or outside, in a village or in a, in a large city, as Amsterdam, uh, you, it needs to be more um, um, uh, uh, organic, um, um, organically mixed and well-executed um, story where everybody has its, basically its part. And they need to work together as a partner so that the consumer or the tourist who comes to the center understands why he's there or she is there and why he's guided from a restaurant to a shopping, uh, to a shop or to any other um, experience and that he basically dwells longer. So that is dwelling time and basically the time he spends there, whether it's a shopping center or in a city center, is longer so that that person basically sp spends more money. Instead of that, he goes to, let's say, Primark and quickly jumps on the bike and goes back home. So is it then important for an international investor, maybe not familiar with the Dutch regional uh, shopping, center, shopping yeah. centers, um, to have like a, you have to have sort of like then someone in the field on the ground uh, who understands yeah. uh, how that neighborhood works. Um, Absolutely. Is that the role of the property manager or where do you see? Also. So um, I think uh, the property manager is much more nowadays, more uh, than a concierge. Mm -hmm. So what you see in a lot of shopping centers, they're basically more of a concierge. They tell you what to do and what not to do. And when you need to um, uh, start... Have cleaners come to uh, cleaners come clean the facade. Yeah. And uh, promotion days and all that stuff. And, yeah. and when does the clown with the balloons come? And um, Now, I think uh, shopping center owners uh, should really be more uh, the directors of symphony orchestra. So basically... You have all these tenants, mm -hmm. and they're basically, if you think of them as a symphony orchestra, they all have their role to play. Mm -hmm. So you need to conduct them in such a way that you're not telling them what to do, but that you give them the chance to really make the best music together. So, but when you need a really good script or a symphony in order to, and then you need to rehearse it and you need to repeat it so that every day is, is a fantastic day to enter that shopping center. And the same goes for city centers. You need center managers who are boots on the ground, who have eyes and ears, listen to the retailers, listen to the, uh, the, the, rest, the restaurants and to all the other parties which are active in the city center and try to understand how they can make sure that there are uh, plenty of reasons to come and spend time there. So you need, really need to tell a story. 
It's so that's your advice to property managers listening, because of course we have a most. So they, they need to be re. I think that um, especially for shopping centers, they really need to be, let's say, re-educated in how they should uh, approach a shopping center. So not only buying it and then just maintaining it by making sure that everybody pays his bills and does his stuff, but be much more involved. And that needs, it, it takes a different approach. And maybe also you need different type of people to organize that. So not just oh, saying, oh, we have an advertising agency. They will do the, the campaign, the promotion yeah. days, and then everybody's happy. And you need to do much more nowadays. Rupert, I'm uh, going to um, ask you to listen to two colleagues because we have also given our colleagues the opportunity to ask you some questions. And I would like to play two of those to you and ask you to, uh, to answer them. Here's the first one from our colleague uh, Raymond. Hi Rupert, this is um, Raymond Frederiks from the Dutch Data Intelligence and Strategy Team. So I have the following question for you. In our latest uh, market intelligence report, we analyzed the users within retail which used most gas and energy. And what we found out is that mainly, for example, specialty stores and uh, bars and restaurants uh, use the most energy. So they have the biggest yeah, objective in terms of making their, uh, their store more sustainable. How do you reckon they could do this? And what do you think that the role for the landlord would be in this regard? Interesting question. Uh, I think I agree, of course, with um, that intelligence. And I would say that, um, that they are more motivated to basically um, focus on uh, sustainability from the perspective that the store they rent is much better uh, isolated that they if it's a bakery that uh, they really try to invest in electric ovens so that their costs go down um, and um, that they focus on basically uh, making sure that uh, the, the the landlord helps them um, in, in in achieving this Because you need, in every shopping center or city center, you need specialty stores. Because they are basically the soul of a city center or a shopping center. So not the chains, so not the retail chains. So you need those. And the same goes for the restaurants and the bars. Uh, for the past 15 years, we've seen that, that uh, people spend more money on food and beverage. So as a landlord, you know that. So, of course, you can say, well, I'm sorry, you have to, uh, what happened the last year and this year again. We have to raise the prices, like in Westfield Mall, the Netherlands, with uh, 10%, 17%, 20%. Based on the CPI. Exactly. And you can say, look how many people are coming. So uh, you should be willing to pay that. Uh, but you also have to think on... Uh, yeah, but there are two arguments. One is the argument that um, a landlord has to invest in sustainability in isolating the stores, et cetera, et cetera. So we need to raise the costs we charge of, um, of um, the tenants. On the other hand, you can also say, yeah, but there is also um, a reason that these, party, that these uh, specialty stores and food and beverage companies are here. They're here because the, the target audience, the consumer, really wants them. So if we suffocate them with costs, 
then we're probably losing them. You're losing the good mix. And then you also lose a large part of uh, the audience mm -hmm. you're trying to attract. So you need to think also not only from your own perspective, but you need to stand in their shoes, in the shoes of the audience, and talk to consumers. So Otherwise your, your symphony orchestra might uh, get out of tune. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and then, and that's what you've seen the past 20, 25 years. You've seen a lot of places where that's happened. I'd like to go to our second question, which is from our colleague Johan Spin. Hi, Rupert. We already met a couple of times, but for the audience, my name is Johan Spin, and I work as retail lead for Savills Property Management Department. I remember last time we spoke, you told me about the NRF retail experience trip to New York. Um, what are the best innovations you saw in retail over there when it comes to sustainability? Well, that's a good question, Johan. Um, I didn't see many in New York. I was really disappointed because uh, I had a focus also on that. Um, but I must say there was a big difference between Manhattan and uh, Brooklyn. And in Brooklyn, I had more the feeling that uh, the big brands but also the local brands are more focused on being a community store, community brand for the people who live there, the people who work there. And they also had a really good story about how they went about that. So that's basically also aside from, apart from sustainability, the social side, um, you, you felt that they were really focused on the local community and attracting them to spend, because um, Brooklyn is nowadays a very affluent uh, area in uh, New York, really spend a lot of time and effort to help these people to be part of their brand and instead of being a, a transactional brand. So much be building more relation. And I find it interesting um, because I believe that you should also in the Netherlands, brands should and retailers should focus more on being community retailer instead of being just a transactional retailer who uh, you can find on any shopping street in the Netherlands. Try to be relevant in the place where you are and try to connect with the people who live there or the people who shop there and work there and be different. So if it's a H&M or a HEMA in Amsterdam, it should have a different story to tell than the HEMA in The Hague or in any other uh, city for that matter. And so that is what I really took from uh, New York as um, a really interesting trend. It's not a trend. It is, of course, something which should be uh, yeah, uh, all the time relevant and, and shouldn't be a hype. But that is the one. And if I looked at technology, there were examples uh, of brand stores which had a lot of technology in, but often it didn't work. So that is also interesting. And you see the same in the Netherlands that... You can have all the technology you like. It's not always smart. <laughs> no, if it's not executed and maintained well enough in the store, then it's a disappointment. And um, what I saw in the Nike Innovation Store, which is a big store in um, on Fifth Avenue, is that they the technology didn't work, but they were really good at changing the the platforms or the... Uh, departments every time, so that every three months you had a there was a new. You have a feeling it's a new store. Yeah, that was really exciting, and they didn't only do that in Fifth Avenue. They also did it in other places in Soho, 
and that was really nice because you had and in that is also what I expect in large city centers uh, in Netherlands and in large shopping centers that um, retailers and brands are much more flexible and try to really um, and that's um, they can learn a lot from um, it's not a, a great retailer in the sense of experience action mm-hmm. but every week 150 new products how do they do it they just do it but that gives the people people a reason to go again to go again and to be surprised and um yeah like Kruidvat always says it's always affordable but it's also always a surprise Mm. because they have all these products which they didn't have last week Mm -hmm. so if you take that philosophy and say we are a big brand like H&M or Nike in the Netherlands why don't we really uh, excite people on a regular basis instead of just setting up a format and just holding on to it. I'm going to uh, go to my final question already, Rupert. Uh, We could talk for days, I think, but um, it's a question that I ask to all of my guests and it is, what is your dream project? My dream? How does the ideal uh, retail location or brand look like for you? My ideal product or project uh, would be to really, um, from a conceptual point of view, to develop um, uh, a brand which um, is, of course, omnichannel, but which also uh, focuses on the community and environment it's active in. And which it really has a story to tell, which is really stands out because the strategy is clear, um, because it's a blue ocean company, which really has a, a unique assortment of products and services, and which really also involves the consumer and the co-workers. And together creating an environment in which they can... Um, Uh, make something which is really fun, uh, which is uh, on a human level um, and and not only for one specific target audience, but can address several target audiences, but is really innovative in not so in the technical sense innovative, but in the way they approach the market and uh, has a completely different philosophy on what retail and branding should be like. And there are plenty of examples in the world, but that's what my dream project would be. Thank you, Rupert. Uh, To sum up what we talked about, uh, I think for for our audience, the investors, uh, your advice would be to work together as a team with all the stakeholders involved in retail locations like municipality, the retailer itself, uh, um, center management, if it is there. And I heard also some advice for our property managers uh, to really uh, take a different approach to property management and to make sure that you are... uh, thinking of a destination that surprises your consumers every day and make them want to return. Thank you, Rupert, um, retail expert and advisor. This was No Stone Unturned from Savills. Please subscribe to this podcast when you don't want to miss a thing and give us a rating in your favorite podcast app.